Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October 25, 2023. It's been 3,529 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 244 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. There are a lot of updates today, and I wish I could bring you better news today. The Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. In our assessment, the use of human wave attacks by Russian forces has caused rapid deterioration of the situation in the Avdivka area of operation. AO. Despite catastrophic losses, and the Ukrainian garrison is in the deepest salient since February 24, 2022. 2. We maintain that Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations, and they are committed to capturing the Avdivka salient regardless of the cost. 3. Our assessment that Ukrainian summerfall counteroffensive has culminated was accurate, with Ukrainian forces on the defensive theater-wide. This transition is not due to the exhaustion of combat potential or Ukrainian losses. 4. We maintain the possibility of a battalion size or larger wet crossing at Kherson by Ukrainian forces is extremely low. 5. Our assessment that there was no chance that the United States House would elect a new speaker before the continued delay would start to have a material impact on the amount of support Ukraine is receiving was regrettably accurate. 6. The soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention. 7. We maintain that Russia is stockpiling missiles and drones for large-scale attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure as the weather continues to degrade. 8. Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts with a couple of quick updates, so we can focus on more critical news and assessments. Ukrainian forces have stabilized the line of conflict, or LOC, in the Kharkiv and Luhansk oblasts. Fighting continued in the same hotspots, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or ARMOD, made its usual report of fighting near Dibrova. 
In Donetsk, Russian forces continued their attacks at Marienka, Pobeda, Novomikhailovka, and north of Novodonetsk and Novomayorsk, with no changes in the situation. In the morning, a Russian missile hit the Senelnikivsky district near Dnipro. Dnipropetrovsk oblast of Sergei Lesak said that, quote, critical infrastructure was hit, but did not share any other information due to operational security, also known as OPSEC. Last news snack. In Moscow, partisans attacked the military base of Unit 51858, throwing 11 Molotov cocktails over the fence. No injuries were reported. You might want to open up the war map, because there are a lot of updates in northeastern Donetsk. Russian forces continued spoiling attacks northwest and west of Bakhmut, attacking in the direction of Bogdanivka from the north and breaking through Ukrainian defenses north of Hromova in the forest strip northwest of the Bakhmut Forest Tail Amusement Park. It is unclear if Russian troops have crossed the stream between the Pivnichny Reservoir and the retaining pond in Hromova. There weren't any additional attempts to advance in the direction of Ivanivske from the Litak district of Bakhmut. In the Klishchivka AO, Russian forces launched another series of unsuccessful counterattacks near Klishchivka, with Ukrainian troops under tremendous pressure north of the settlement. Ukrainian forces made additional marginal gains east of Andreevka. Russian forces launched a counterattack from Kurdyumevka, pushed through Ukrainian defense at the Siversky Donetsk-Donbass Canal Dam, and crossed to the first tree line in the direction of Bilahora. Moving on to southwestern Donetsk, the situation has become very challenging for Ukrainian forces. In the Avdiivkaio, Russian forces continue to fight as if it is July 1942, and Stalin just issued Order 227 to no step back decree of July 28, 1942. The situation on the northern and southern flanks is deteriorating faster than we expected due to our analyst team's underestimation of how hard Russian commanders would push infantry into the fight. While the Kremlin has shown little regard for combat losses, the situation in the Avdiivka AO exceeds the nine-month Russian offensive at Bakhmut and the 2022 siege of Severodonetsk and Lysychansk. Starting on the north flank of Avdiivka, Russian forces attempted to advance across the railroad tracks northwest of Krasnohorivka in the direction of Novokolonova, but were repulsed. Russian forces were also held back at the same railroad grade east of Stepove. Northeast of Avdiivka, Russian forces pushed Ukrainian troops off the Tarakon near the Iron Coke plant. Elements of the 114th Guards Motorized Rifle Regiment placed the Russian flag and the Soviet battle flag on the waist hip. A Ukrainian first-person view drone destroyed it several hours after Russian troops left. And yes, we link to the video in our daily situation report. There is a link in the podcast description. The Terrakan is currently a no-man's land, with a Russian video showing two squad-sized units of Ukrainian troops retreating without their weapons in the direction of Avdiivka. Russian artillery and airstrikes have become relentless, with the Donetsk suburb reduced to rubble. After 20 months of on-and-off again sieges and a mandatory evacuation order issued in March 2023, the estimated 1,600 holdouts have started asking for evacuation. 
Early in the year, Ukrainian officials said that some of the civilians refusing to evacuate were pro-Russian, which has the potential to complicate resettlement. With five Russian brigades in a combat ineffective or combat-destroyed state, the 15th, 21st and 30th separate motor rifle brigades of the Russian 2nd Combined Arms Army have been transferred to the AO to continue the assault. Moving on to assessment. The challenge for Ukrainian forces is there aren't enough artillery pieces or ammunition to repel the human wave attacks. And if a NATO-aligned nation were facing the same battlefield, it would have assets beyond tube and barrel artillery to suppress the advances. Russia is fighting a war of attrition, with the ratio of losses between 1 to 7 and 1 to 10 in favor of Ukraine. Moscow is sending a clear message. They don't care. Russian commanders are also employing a tactic used in Bakhmut, where Russian assaults would alternate from the north flank to the south flank. This enables Russia to make continuous attacks on the Ukrainian garrison while having brief operational pauses for reconstitution and resupply. In our assessment, Russia's next mission objective is coming into focus. If Russian commanders have absolutely no regard for their troops, they'll make a frontal assault on the coke plant, which reportedly is a similar fortress to Azovstal. Alternatively, they could advance through the Duchess on the eastern edge of Avdivka until they reach the T542 highway, the critical ground line of communication, GLOG supply line, for Ukrainian defenders. Regardless, physical control of the T-542 highway appears to be the next mission objective. Of course, it is never zero, and there is a third possibility that the Kremlin wants to attempt an encirclement. With a disregard for casualties, an advance due west towards Semenovka can't be ruled out. Here's the thing. If Russia can take physical control of the T-542 before March season begins, the continued defense of the salient could become untenable. It is unclear to our analysts what Kyiv can do to stop the ongoing offensive, taking into account the military resources they have available and our belief that getting into another Bakhmut attritional siege is ill-advised. It bears repeating, Russia doesn't care about losses and will do everything it can short of seaborne weapons – chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear – to capture Vdivka. On the south flank, Ukrainian forces made marginal but critical gains southeast of Opetne at the Butivka mine ventilation shaft. This advance prevents Russian troops from using the remains of the T-505 highway to advance in the direction of Avdivka and complicates supplying the Russian troops at Opetne. Further west, Russian forces pushed through Ukrainian defense in the western part of Vodyne, and advanced to the Novoavdivsky Reservoir, almost reaching the northern edge of Pervomaiske. Russian attempts to advance through the no-man's land between Vodyane and Severne and toward Nevelske were unsuccessful. It wasn't a great day. But we are resilient. Continuing along the line of conflict in Zaporizhia, Russian and Ukrainian sources are using the word deadlocked to describe the situation in the Orihivayo. While Ukrainian forces breached the second echelon of the Surovikin line in multiple locations, built a wide gap and attempted a breakthrough, 
the introduction of Russian reserve forces from occupied Kherson was enough to freeze the lines. Fighting is still heavy, but there have only been a few changes to lock during October. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Malatokmachka, and Ukrainian source Deep State said there was a significant Russian counteroffensive north of Novoprokopivka. Both offensives failed. Multiple Russian sources reported fighting on the western edge of Verbove. A prominent Russian mail blogger reported that Ukrainian forces restarted offensive efforts in the direction of Kopani. In our assessment, the attack came from Robotene. Two short-range ballistic missiles hit the city of Zaporizhia, but we don't have enough information to identify the type. Zaporizhia Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Ova Yuri Malashko said that the first missile hit a commercial enterprise without sharing any other information. In occupied Crimea, Sevastopol residents reported two, quote, thunderous explosions. The illegitimate mayor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvazhaev, claimed that the sounds were due to naval exercises off the coast, again, which was mocked, again, on local social media channels. Multiple Russian sources reported two missiles were shot down. We can't verify the claims. And it is possible that everyone is being dishonest. And the sound was just sonic booms. Pictures showed that Russian engineers were building defenses in Yevpatoria with no understanding of what a landing zone is and how you're supposed to leave that area open. If there was an amphibious land and Russian troops occupied the poorly prepared defenses, Russian artillery wouldn't be able to fire on the landing zone due to the friendly fire risk. Not that Kremlin appears to care. We'll link to the pictures in the situation report. The spokesperson for the naval forces of the Ukrainian armed forces said that destroying the Kerch Crimean bridge for a morale boost, quote, makes no sense, unquote. Dmitro Platinchuk, talking on Marathon, said, quote, When it is necessary to make Crimea an island, it will definitely be done. That is why we should wait for the right moment. In Free Kherson, fighting continued in the area of the Konka River, including at Krynke, with Ukrainian sources reporting the ground and sea line of communication from the Antonievsky Zaleznichny Mist railroad bridge to the bridge over the Verkhnya Konka River remaining stable. A prominent Russian mail blogger who is occasionally semi accurate reported fighting continued near Poima and Pishanivka without evidence. Another mail blogger with a track record of writing fanfiction claimed that Ukrainian troops were pushed back across the Dnipro. We can verify that Ukrainian forces are still in the Broder region after geolocating a video of a medevac from the left bank of the Dnipro river, and the situation was stable. We are not providing additional details or sharing the video to protect OPSEC and to respect family members who may not have been notified yet. My editor did leave a note. None of the wounded had critical injuries and were conscious and alert. The press officer for the Kherson Oblastova, Oleksandr Tolokonnikov, announced that forced evacuations of 23 settlements west of Kherson to Bereslav have started. Quote, 
the law enforcement officers will conduct their work based on the new decision that coercion can be used. By the end of the week, we will have other results. Before I talk about theater-wide events, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available through our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. There is a link in the podcast description. And now, on to theater-wide events. On the evening of October 23-24, Ukrainian air defense shot down six Shahid-136 kamikaze drones and later in the day intercepted a KH-59 guided cruise missile near Krivy Rih. Ukrainian military analyst Oleksandr Kovalenko reported that on October 23 Russia set a new record, dropping 100 bombs across Ukraine, mostly Fab 500 SE UMPK glide bombs. Through October 23, 915 bombs have been dropped. Currently, Ukraine has no answer to stop the airstrikes. Spokesperson for the main defense intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, Uhur, Andriy Yusov, told reporters that Russia no longer can launch 100 missiles in a single strike. Quote, they don't have the stocks of missile weapons that they had until February 24, 2022. And at the same time, the risks for missile strikes remain. This means the country is preparing. Unquote. Quick assessment. We agree. Reuters Thompson reported representatives of the European Union will meet on November the 8th to assess the progress of Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia in their respective bids to join the economic bloc. We had previously reported that the draft report was favorable for Ukraine and Moldova while Georgia was likely to be told they need to do more work. The findings are expected to be announced in mid-December during the EU Leaders' Summit. Ukraine has developed the RATEL-S, a guided ground robot designed to destroy Russian hardpoints, equipped with modified mortars or armored vehicles with a T-62 anti-tank mine. The robot can travel up to 24 km per hour over rough terrain, has a range of 6 km, and has already entered serial production. Ukrainian technicians have taken Gulf War-era AIM-9M air-to-air sidewinder missiles and converted them for surface-to-air use for air defense. Speaking for myself, we'd rather have them mounted on a few squadrons of F-16s. But we do appreciate the help with air defense for the coming winter. The German defense company Rheinmetall has formally completed its agreement to form a joint venture with Ukrainian defense company Ukroboronprom, forming the Ukrainian Defense Industry LLC. Rheinmetall will manage the company and has a controlling interest in the new LLC. I have time for one more story, and there was a lot in the situation report. Pick one, they told me. Closing with geopolitics and economics, an investigation found that since March 2022, when sanctions were imposed on Russia, over $14 billion in metals have been purchased by European companies, with over $5 billion spent in the first six months of 2023. The top three enterprises are the Dutch aerospace company Airbus, the German enterprise GGP Metal Power, 
and the French arms manufacturer Safran. And that's today's update. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. And now, let me turn the podcast over to my executive producer and co-host, Zarina Zabrisky. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. I'm just coming from the market and market was lovely even though the Russians are striking the marketplace which is the heart of Kherson. You see more life here than anywhere else. There's another air raid and there were just recently the sounds of explosions here. So it was not okay. Here's another explosion. It was not okay to film there in full the way I wanted to because it's dangerous and I'm just walking back. Here is a bomb shelter at a bus stop. That's life in Houston right now. And market was surprisingly well attended. Lots of interesting and yummy good things. I had some feta cheese homemade and bought some beautiful plums. I spoke to the owner of the book kiosk. She said that she has at home about three or four textbooks all filled in with the patriotic Ukrainian symbols. She copies these patterns from somewhere she likes. She also copies some poems. There's a poem about her son. My city is hoarse from prayers. My city is deaf from bombings. My city is lost. Save my city, O Lord. My city is hungry. It's trembling and cold, like a dog abandoned. It looks crippled and powerless, tired of tears, but it still trusts in God, and the spirit of generations is still burning inside. My city is drowning in blood for refusing to kneel. mother were telling me how they used to work in their kids during occupation and speaking to the Russian soldiers telling them to go away. It was an incredible experience. We're here with Carl and Carl is a volunteer now in Kherson, Ukraine. Carl, how is Kherson this time? I arrived here on a Saturday and my friends from where I work, they invited me. They said, we have barbecue. Okay. And so uh, most of the people showed up in helmets and body armor, just like I'm wearing right now. And so and I was like, okay, yeah, this is our life here in Kherson. We had the best barbecue because Ukraine has the best pork in the world, right? And, uh, and so the barbecue was fantastic. Being with my friends was fantastic. Right now, the bombardments are, have intensified. And uh, it, it has been 
you know, bad here sometimes in the past, but now it's it's even more. There was a lot of uh, strikes here in the city on Saturday and Sunday. I don't think about the strikes as much because I've been in Ukraine a long time. I think more about what can I do, right? Like I don't have any control over the strikes, but I can control what I can do with my time. And I always tell my friends, I'm either going to wake up in heaven or I'm going to wake up and get back to work. Either way, win-win, and and then I don't worry about them, right? I don't I don't worry about the strikes or all the the bad things. I spend try to spend most of my time thinking about the good things. Who can I help? What are we going to do today? How are we going to make? How are we going to fix a situation? Or how are we going to perform a, a request from someone? Right? Tell us about your volunteering. So we go and we help people. So somebody could say, hey, um, my house got blown up or all my windows are gone. Can you come and, and do the repair work? And we say, of course. Or my house was a part of the flood and we need you to come and clean all the mud and the bricks out of the house and help us to uh, clean it so that we can try to live in it. Or maybe they say, we, we need to move from point A to point B. Can you help me? So People, they send in requests and we do them. And and that, that's exactly what we do. So we're just here helping people based on the requests that we and we get a lot of requests to help. Right. And you also go to the houses which were damaged or destroyed by the flood and yes. rebuild them for winter? Well, we don't rebuild them, but we clean them. And, and then if there's a, a possibility to... Um, fix windows so to make them livable, we can do that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you are from uh, the United States. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. So I'm from Indiana, and in Indiana, I'm I'm a biker, and I ride with the Bikers for Christ Motorcycle Ministry. Uh, I'm also a United States Marine, and so when the war started, I decided to come to Ukraine and volunteer and help and do what I can do. And just as we speak with Carl outside, another strike has started, so we'll have to cut this interview short. But we'll be back with you, Carl, maybe on one of your assignments. Thank you and stay safe. Okay, God bless you. So our tire was flat again from some pieces of shrapnel or something or other. In the last two years, since I come to Ukraine, I've gone through about two full sets of tires, eight tires. We've got this really nice free coffee that comes from a cafe upstairs, which is closed because it was bombed. And nice guy, Denise, wouldn't take any money for it. So I had some plums with me and I left him some plums instead. So here we are at a yoga studio in Kherson. Premature statements harm the combat work of Ukrainian defenders, said Natalia Huminyuk, the frequent guest and the head of the Joint Coordination Press of the Defense and Security Forces of the South, in a TV interview. She quoted a report by the American Institute for the Study of War. The analysts' conclusions were not confirmed by the military. 
Our combat work is carried out in various directions and in various ways. They rely on counter-battery fire as the task is to clear part of the territory of the left bank, currently occupied, from the Russian military, said Huminyuk. According to Huminyuk, the Russian military continues to fire from the air, so Ukrainian defenders are trying to make life easier for civilians on the right bank of the Kherson region. The right bank is the territory liberated by the Ukrainian army in November 2022. The results of combat work can only be announced when there is a result. Such announcements harm combat work of the Ukrainian army in a populated area, emphasized Huminyuk. She also said that the Ukrainian people on the temporarily occupied left bank are resisting. Many are in hiding and do not want to come into contact with the occupation authorities, collaborators, and military representatives of the Russian Federation. The Russian invaders have begun to actively engage in looting. This is a sign that they are no longer comfortable in these settlements and are moving deeper. It is quite obvious that they will look for a place to spend winter where it will be necessary to gain a foothold on denser lines of defense where there are reinforced concrete structures. In the beginning of 2022, Natalia Khomeinyuk explained the principles of work of the Ukrainian army to me using a wonderful metaphor, an orchestra. The Ukrainian army is an operational strategic group of troops, she said. It operates like a well-tuned orchestra performing a symphony. The commander, a conductor, is in charge of all the army branches and controls the overall movement and direction. He or she knows the enemy's intentions and possible maneuvers, and when the fleet needs to strike, the air force needs to cover it from the sky, and when the land joins in. This is the art of war, the ability to consider and control all the elements, including natural elements, such as the weather, landscape, and terrain. Combined, these aspects create a complex line of fire, the line of defense, as it is moving forward, pushing the enemy out of Ukraine. Once the line reaches the state borders, the movement will stop. Ukraine did not attack and will not go further. We, said Huminyuk, fight to stop the aggressor. During the performance, the ability of the audience to listen without interruptions. In warfare, the element of surprise does play a major role. The occupying of the right bank of the Kherson region proved during this war that silence is golden in warfare. In September 2022, the Ukrainian army recovered territories near Kharkov and Kherson in a brilliant maneuver. While everyone was discussing a Kherson counteroffensive in the south and Russians pulled all their forces in that direction, Ukrainians attacked in the north and liberated the Kharkov region. The liberation of the city of Kherson and the left bank of the region followed. 
predictions should be perceived as potential misinformation and an attempt to divert the adversary. In addition to open access sections for the press, classified sections and positions will only be revealed after the war's end, said Alexander Kovalenka, the war analyst and also a frequent guest here on our podcast. Lieutenant General Ben Hodges of the U.S. Army also spoke in an interview with me about the importance of what military call OPSEC, Operational Security, the art of protecting information. According to him, the Ukrainian general staff has done a great job at OPSEC. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.